listening to Vet Candy. Hi, this is Dr. Jessica Turner, and you're listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica. You're one stop for all things wellness, not just what to eat or how to move, but everything in between. And today I have the honor of getting to hang out with a fellow Vet Candy contributor, Dr. Courtney A. Campbell. He has enjoyed a career as a board certified veterinary surgeon and a veterinary journalist. Dr. Campbell specializes in orthopedic soft tissue and minimally invasive surgery and currently practices at VetSurge, a specialty surgical practice in Ventura, California. On the media landscape of things, Dr. Campbell is a host of two podcasts, an author and a daytime television veterinary medical correspondent. And I have to say, when I was looking at where you've served in that capacity, I was like, holy moly, like the Rachel Ray show, you know, WebMD, just all these incredible you know, areas that you could find Dr. Courtney sharing his his wisdom and his gifts. He's also a member of four organizations that are committed to creating a more pluralistic veterinary profession, including AVMA DEI Commission, ACVS DEI Commission, DCMC, and Plausibilities VetMed. Welcome, Dr. Campbell. I'm so excited to have you on today and to just hear more about what makes you Dr. Campbell. Listen, Dr. Jessica, I am delighted to be here. I feel super privileged that I get a chance to speak with you today. The, the topic, your focal point and your level of expertise in regards to healthy living is something I think is severely understated. And I think it's an important topic to, to put out there. The more we can talk about how do we live healthier, how, how does what's each of our personal experience with the journey of healthy living I think that's a topic of conversation we need to hear more of. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you already mentioned, like, it's personal, you know, like, you're not going to listen and find like a one, you know, size fits all cookie cutter kind of aspect to things. And I think that's why I I love being able to connect with so many different people that are doing so many different things. A lot of it is within the veterinary field. And so as you're listening you could relate to a lot of the things that we're navigating together, but it, it's not, you know, it's not just inclusive to veterinary medicine. Um, it matters to everyone. And so that's why I also try to make it clear that you don't have to be a veterinarian or someone within the veterinary field to listen and benefit. But I always love to just kick things off with, you know, what's your story? What has led you to where you are today doing the work that you're passionate about? And we'll just kind of Dig in that way. Well, Dr. Jessica, that is one of the most feared questions that anybody you could ask anybody, which is, so Courtney, tell me about yourself. And the reality is, I don't even know where to start, but I will say this. We can all start as, you know, with me as a young kid in Connecticut, growing up uh, basically in the woods. You know, I like to joke around that, you know, I was raised by wolves, but that's not true at all. I mean, opossums and raccoons definitely helped as well to raise me. Yeah. See, we're in good company. Like that's that's where we at. <laughs> that's where we are. And I think that, you know, I, I say that tongue in cheek, but the reality is being raised in the woods or being raised in a, a forest like wooded area. That was my original introduction into the beauty of nature and wildlife and how incredibly complex 
and the rich diversity of animals in the animal kingdom. And like I said, it may sound a little bit trite and sort of romanticized, but that was how I looked at the, uh, that's how I looked at nature and that's how I looked at wildlife growing up. That experience, that time being spent in the woods and sort of communing with nature, that was my initial introduction and genesis of pursuing a career in veterinary medicine. And so I kept that in the forefront of my mind. But even in high school, I tried to sort of diversify myself in terms of skill set. So I was I wrestled in high school. I ran track. I played tennis. I was, you know, in a variety of plays as well. And um, then I went to University of Delaware, where I had probably the, some of the most fun I've ever had, four years of just insanity. And then, of course, vet school as well. And I know some people are thinking, Delaware? Trust me, if you ever step on campus at the University of Delaware, guaranteed fun. And I, I will, this is, it's official. It's a prerequisite for you to visit that school that you are going to have a fun weekend. But of course, vet school, Tuskegee University, my love goes to Tuskegee University for the awesome experience I had there. And then I did a rotating internship, two surgical internships, a surgical residency. And I I lived in LA for a while, jumped to Santa Barbara, and now I work in Ventura. But it's been a whirlwind of activity and excitement within the veterinary landscape. But there was one element that I never expected, never expected to be talking about. And that is, if you said to me when I was in vet school, hey, Dr. Courtney, do you want to go into veterinary media when you get out of school. I would have said, excuse me, what's that? Media what? I would have had no idea because to me, when I was in vet school, that wasn't a thing. That The idea of being a veterinary journalist or a, a correspondent wasn't a thing that I even knew about. And so falling into that experience, falling into this arena has been incredibly enriching, educational, and tons of fun. And so that's really been my life is sort of balancing the clinical professional aspect and also the media and communication aspect. And it's been a really fun ride. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. If you're like me, you want to improve your skills. And for many of us in the veterinary field, that means improving your surgical confidence. That's why Vet Candy created a master course in surgery. The master course provides veterinarians and veterinary students with focused education on surgery. The program is taught by a board-certified veterinary surgeon and delivers a thorough evaluation of the science, surgical environment, and skills needed to create and maintain a surgical practice. And what's even more exciting, the course is free and also provides race and New York State approved continuing education credits. Plus, when you complete the modular program, you receive a certificate of completion and exclusive marketing tools to celebrate your accomplishment. This program is brought to you by PRN Pharmacal. You can start taking it for free today at myvetcandy.com surgery. Yeah, and I do want to dig because I'm curious. So I'm like, okay, I want to know how that door opens. But when you were saying that, I'm I'm so much in the same boat. Like I'm doing things that were on the bottom of my list of things that I enjoyed or felt comfortable, you know, in whenever I was in 
undergrad and in vet school. I absolutely hated speech. I have I was forced to take it. I forgot what I had to pick between, but like speech was the least of the ones that I hated. To even think about, like you said, if someone would have said, you know, I'd be doing the work that I'm doing within our, our field now, I would have laughed. Now, Dr. Jessica, when you say you hated speech, do you mean public speaking or you just mean at talking to anyone? No, like public speaking. So I'm glad you asked that. Now, but I will say I, I joke um, a lot when I look back at when I was in private practice, I was definitely guilty of trying to like bargain with my my boss and be like, hey, I'll do all the surgeries if you want to, you know, go see all the clients. And it's not that I like, I mean, I, I enjoyed surgery a lot, but it was because I didn't want the client interaction. Obviously, that's not the same person I am now, but I was definitely one of those people that went into veterinary school just focusing on the animal aspect and kind of forgot that people have to bring the animals in and you actually have to interact with people. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? You will hear that occasionally from young vet students or even pre-vet students. Like, I like veterinary medicine because... I'm not a huge fan of people. And really, you know, it's up to us as veterinarians to counsel those young students and let them know, hey, listen, you know, as much as we love animals, their care and their husbandry and everything about them is mediated through people. So it's like you said, you can't avoid people in vet med. Yeah. And once I realized that I was still in practice when I, you know, kind of discovered, you know, just working on myself and personal development and and just better understanding, you know, how I thought and why I did certain things. It helped tremendously with my ability to be able to communicate with my clients and my colleagues. And it just made such a huge difference. You know, I, I had to make that mental switch on, okay, I'm not a people person to, no, I'm in a profession that deals with people a lot. And it's up to me if I'm going to make it an enjoyable experience and let it add to my, you know, ability to be a veterinarian, or if I'm going to continue to let it be a hindrance. But one thing that kind of stood out to me, and we may end up going, you know, down a rabbit hole, but I, that's what this show's about, honestly. It's just kind of wherever the conversation leads. Well, lucky for you, Dr. Jessica, I'm a huge fan of rabbit holes. <laughs> but when you were, okay, so you were talking about your your journey and kind of how you have this balancing act of, you know, like what we traditionally think of when we go into veterinary medicine with, for your specialty would be in surgery with this whole different area of veterinary medicine that you didn't even know existed when you were in school, per se. And I think there's a lot of things out there that, you know, people within the field are still unaware of. And I love that you shared some of the things you were involved with in high school and you talked about being in plays and things like that. And so, like, you kind of had an exposure to that world, but like in a different way. But you were able to use an opportunity, which I still want to hear how that door opened, and kind of fuse some of your natural giftings and interests that aren't necessarily specific to veterinary medicine and gave yourself an outlet to, you know, walk in those things while still walking in the traditional medicine aspect. And I think if more people were able to like explore other areas of themselves that make them them that are outside of medicine but could potentially weave the two together, that it would be something that would add to general well-being within our field, if that makes sense. I think that's such a critical point that you're making, partly because I think it makes us better veterinarians. We're able to connect with and form that relationship. Trust me, I know some really scholastically talented students out there. 
A pluses, straight A's, valedictorian. And those individuals, ah, they just contribute so much to this profession because of they're so smart, they're so creative, and they add such tremendous intelligence. However, even if you're not a straight A student, even if you're not the top of the heap in terms of scholastic excellence, the ability to have a diversified skill set, the ability to speak, write well, sing well, write poetry, draw, paint, whatever your whatever your diversified skill set, if that can enrich the profession, that's awesome. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe it just makes you a fantastic human being and you contribute to the world. But I truly believe that if you have interests that are seemingly tangential or remote to veterinary medicine, I would say hold a minute and think hard because a lot of times those two, like you said, have true intersectionality and can be weaved together. I'll put it this way. Let me give you a crystal clear example. I had the privilege and the opportunity to host a show on Nat Geo Wild called Pet Talk. And it was the first of its kind pet show ever, where it was a talk show strictly about animal health and pet health. Now, there is a glut of animal-related reality shows, but this wasn't reality. This was a talk show. And I'm really proud of the seasons that we had, although it was a fairly short-lived show. And when people ask me, Courtney, what does it feel like to host your own show on Nat Geo Wild? What I said to them was, I feel like I have been training for a race that I didn't even know I was going to run. And what that what I meant by that was all of the skill sets where I had been a anatomy tutor, a physiology tutor, a pet food student representative in in vet school. I had obviously studied hard to uh, pass vet school, pass the board exam. And so all of those elements the extracurriculars I was doing with theater and scholastically what I was doing in vet school, all of those came together for this unique opportunity to talk about my passion and my love for veterinary medicine and for animal health, but then also use that to take that information and present it in a fun and exciting way. And so that is the key is if you are listening and you have a diverse skill set out there and you're saying, man, I don't think that my skills or things that I love are even related to my passion towards animal health or veterinary medicine, I would just say, don't count that out yet because you may be preparing for a race that you don't even know you're going to run yet. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. This is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the desk wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio. Yeah, I love that. And I feel the same way. And you were given specific examples of different roles that you were in. You just painted such a beautiful picture of what that could look like. Um, But when I was listening, I was like, I feel the same exact way, but 
mine isn't necessarily tied to specific roles that I was in, such as, you know, you were talking about being a pet food representative. I look at mine more as life experiences and a lot of them that I honestly wish I wouldn't have gone through, but I could so clearly see how all of that is intertwined and how it's led to me doing the work that I do today. Um, I mean, this show is a, a perfect example. When when I was first presented with the idea of it, I honestly thought, you know, they were crazy because I had never been on a podcast. I, I honestly told them that I don't even listen to podcasts. <laughs> and when she was talking about all these incredible people that I could have on, and I'm almost positive she mentioned you from the get-go, but they had all these accolades and these, you know, separate degrees outside of veterinary medicine and, you know, experts within all these different areas. And and I told her, I was like, look, I'm, I don't know if you think that, like, I don't know, I have different training than you, like, are aware of, but I don't, I don't have any special titles, you know, like I'm just a veterinarian. And she broke it down so beautifully. She said, yeah, but you're an expert in living. Like you are able to weave in these, these different things you've been through. And it's created the passion I have for, you know, wellness in general, but specifically within our field. And I, I never really looked at it that way. Like I never really thought what I was doing with sharing about different parts of my story, whatever kind of come together with veterinary medicine. And so when you were talking about, you know, training for this race that you never knew you were going to run, it's exactly how I feel, specifically with this this show. <laughs> like, I would have never imagined that when I stepped away from private practice, I honestly thought that was like the end of my involvement in veterinary medicine, because we go into it with such a narrow view of what it looks like that I, in my mind, I'm like, well, if I'm not handling animals, then I'm not, you know, I'm not really part of the field anymore, which is not true. You know, like that's, it's crazy. It's just a, a different aspect of it. 100%. And this is something that I really try to emphasize in terms of my work with DEI and, and diversity, equity, inclusion within the profession is that, you know, you take a look at some of the demographics within the profession and some, some people say, well, we are critically low or we're in a diversity crisis in terms of veterinary medicine clinically, right? And when I go into a clinical environment and I walk into a veterinary hospital, I just don't see people that look like me. I don't see people that represent me. This is tough. And the reality is that is happening on a very granular level and that's serious. However, there are so many different arenas in which that's the same thing. So veterinary industry or veterinary media or animal health related media or veterinary investing, right? Because we know that right now there's a lot of corporate interest coming into veterinary medicine. So I always let people know that even if you aren't necessarily interested in veterinary medicine in a clinical environment, there are so many people uh, that are needed in terms of other aspects of veterinary medicine or veterinary adjacent fields or things that you may not even think are related to veterinary medicine. So I'm just so happy that you are, in my opinion, absolutely still in the industry, still contributing and still making a positive impact because otherwise I wouldn't even have the pleasure to have this conversation today. Yeah. And honestly, I love our profession. You know, like our profession is so special. And I think that's a big part of why I have such a, a heart for doing work within it. You know, it was a bittersweet decision, you know, to leave practice. And because part of it at that point, like I mentioned, I really felt like I was leaving the profession as a whole. And it was it was sad, you know, like I didn't want to necessarily 
have that happen. And so I'm just grateful. What was that Rubicon like? Where, where did you get to that point where you said, you know what? I think it's time. I need to walk out. There must have been that day where you woke up and you said, no, this is it. I can't be here anymore. So I, it was something I prayed about for a year and a half. So I have twins that are seven. Congratulations. Thank you. I, I worked in several practices outside of um, school, but very polar opposite. And I was very grateful to be at, at a, a clinic when I found out I was pregnant. That was a wonderful environment. My boss was incredible and truly valued family. And he told me from day one when I found out I was having twins that I wasn't going to come back. And I'd get so mad at him. Like, in, he was more like a father figure, but I was like, stop. Like, no, that's out of the question. Like, being a stay-at-home mom and that was never like something that I'm just not that kind of person. <laughs> and so like he would joke with me the entire time. You're not going to come back. I'm telling you, you're not going to come back. You're going to want to be with those babies and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that's that's not the case. But I had a very difficult pregnancy. I was on bed rest for a big chunk of it. So I was out of work for a lot longer than I wanted. And my postpartum experience was not ideal. I dealt with postpartum depression. I really struggled with transitioning back to work. But at the same time, I knew I needed to get like out of my house. I needed to have interaction and to kind of come back to some sense of normalcy. And so I did practice for a while after I had my girls. But I kind of hit like a rock bottom in my own health in, in the middle of that, where I was on medications for my postpartum depression, not really seeing much improvement, trying to just kind of survive, to be honest. And my doctor, who had become such a close friend of mine because of my pregnancy being as complicated as it was, she pretty much just sat down with me and it was, you know, an appointment. But she just talked to me the whole time as a, as a friend and was like, you have to take care of yourself. I was very active before my pregnancy and to be forced to be inactive pretty much overnight. It was just really tough, more so mentally than anything. And she knew that and she helped me see that. And she was like, I don't care if you have to hire somebody to go to the gym. You need to figure out how to make yourself a priority again. Or, you know, this is going to continue to go down a road that's not not what we want. Um, and so I stepped out of that office and I contacted someone that had kind of given me a glimpse of alternatives of being active that were not traditional in my mind, doing things at home and being a part of a community from afar type thing because I couldn't get to in-person options. And that kind of sparked my love for wellness in general. It started more as like physical wellness and, you know, focusing on nutrition. But then it kind of just snowballed into uh, overall wellness focus because once I started working on myself, I actually, I was in a place where I could finally acknowledge a lot of trauma that I had gone through from, you know, disordered eating to anxiety, depression. Um, the reason I have this show and I have such a heart for for mental wellness and specifically within our field is because I lost a roommate to suicide. So I just, I was finally able to kind of see all these pieces and put them together and realize that I really had a passion for working with people in their wellness. And so I started a business on the side and you know, saw that it was possible to do something outside of um, clinical practice financially and just kind of slowly did that. I slowly backed off hour-wise um, the more, I, you know, work I did outside of veterinary practice and just kind of made that decision. Like I said, it was a year and a half process, but I knew for a while, like, that's where I was being led. And personally, for me, 
I do relief here and there. And for the pr practice that I worked for, it's more of like a favor. I don't know that I do relief <laughs> otherwhere. And I enjoy it, but I, I can so clearly recognize that I'm not best when I'm in clinical practice for different reasons. I'm super empathetic. Like I, it's so hard for me to disconnect from, you know, my patients and clients and not take all of that home when I'm already kind of still working through a lot of personal things. Um, and so I, I recognized that and I, I kind of saw the person I was able to be when I wasn't submerged in clinical practice. And so that was ultimately what led me to step away. So that's an incredible story. And the idea of discovering who you are through veterinary medicine, that's got to be incredibly difficult because veterinary medicine itself is tough to navigate. Veterinary medicine itself can bring you through the vicissitudes and the trials and tribulations of life every single day. And that can cause, to be honest, its own level of micro trauma or trauma. It's, it's it, that the disappointments, the cases that don't necessarily heal the way you want them to all of those, they can, that can really stick with you. You can really feel that at times. And then layered upon that is also what you were explaining as far as your childhood and explaining about part of your upbringing and your pregnancy. And when you layer all of those traumas together, that can shape your life experiences and ultimately shape the decisions you make regarding how you want to live your life. And it, if that means, Hey, I'm not at my best when I I'm in the clinical environment, then that's a realization that I think is beautiful that you came to. I definitely talked with young veterinarians, young students, and, and they ask me, you know, what should I do? Where should I go? And I just say, whatever it is that you feel you are best at, try to pursue that because I think that there's a lot of people, and this is just my personal opinion, but there are a lot of people who are either stuck behind a desk or in cubicles or doing things in life. And I'm talking even outside of veterinary medicine, but it could be within veterinary medicine as well, or they're in a research setting and using pipettes and they are doing things that they can get by with, that they're okay with, mediocre with, or that they're really good at it. Maybe they're not very passionate about, but they could go to another level if they can just do the thing that they're really good at. And so if you have a particular skill set at, let's say, entertaining folks, people find you very entertaining, then see if there's a way that you can do that because you can take that same passion and elevate that to levels previously unknown. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I do want to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to dig in a little bit more with your personal experience with trying to find that balance of, you know, making yourself a priority while, you know, being as involved as you are. Because I know our listeners that's such a big reason why they tune in. You know, they feel like they're stretched to their their max and they want to do better with making themselves a focus, but they just don't know how to. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back in a minute. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Vet Candy makes learning fun with the most fascinating people on our planet. Our entertaining, continuing education programs are made for your streaming world. Fabulous, fun, and free. Available on demand anywhere and anytime. Don't miss out. Subscribe today on iTunes, YouTube, or a platform of your choice. Or visit myvetcandy.com for more information. 
welcome back. You are listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica, and I'm here with Dr. Campbell. And we're just having a great time digging into kind of like an array of things, but well-being in general, different aspects within the veterinary field and how we could kind of take, you know, our giftings and what we're passionate about and, and weave those things together. But right now, because I know our listeners are always trying to figure out, okay, this all sounds great. Sounds like y'all have a, a hold on things, but I want to figure out how to make myself a priority, my wellness a priority, and I really feel like I don't have any other time to spare. I want you to share some of your, you know, your secrets or your, kind of your lessons of what you've learned throughout your journey that have allowed you to make that a priority despite being as involved as you were. You know, that's such a great question. When I think about wellness and, and healthy living. I think a lot of people talk about eating, uh, you know, healthy eating. They talk about exercise and self-care, you know? Uh, and I think that's, these are vitally important tiers. They are really important tiers. I, I'll put it this way. We have, veterinarians in general, have one of, some of the most durable and thoroughly vetted immune systems on the planet. We are coming in contact with people all day long. We're coming in contact with animals all day long. So we've got to watch out for bugs from people, bugs from animals, but we don't want to get sick because obviously we want to have a, a healthy veterinary healthcare team so that we can service the community and service our jobs. And so we know about, you know, washing our hands and sanitizing, drinking tons of water and getting sleep, eating fruits and vegetables. And so we understand these healthy choices, but a lot of times we don't always make these choices. And the question is, why? Why don't we? And I think that as a group, generally, broadly speaking, veterinarians are very solicitous for the health and wellness of others, almost to a fault. We're loving. We just put the care and attention towards people and animals ahead of ourselves. And I think that that can be certainly to our detriment. So when I think about things like exercise and food, yeah, there's things that I do for sure. And we, we can tackle those. But there is one thing that jumps out to me, and it's something I actually call a hobjective. Now, that's interesting. A lot of people are like, wait, what? What is he talking about? Okay. What in the world is a hobjective? A hobjective is where you take your hobby and you give it an objective, right? And so this sort of aspect of fusing your two things that you really love to do is it creates a level of purpose. Quite simply, it simply creates a level of purpose. And purpose is something that, and, and I know that a lot of people are like, yeah, I, I get it. But it really does help us get our head off of the pillow every morning. And for most of us, that sense of purpose, of course, I mean, right, the, the most basic element is just survival, right? You, so you've got to live, okay? But then there's that purpose of idealism, right? We want to make the world a better place. Some people, they have an existing framework of purpose in which they find in sports or religion or their family in which they have a sense of belonging. And there are those of us who find purpose through self-exploration and, and sort of creativity. And that's what I'm talking about with a objective. So if you like reading, think about creating an objective to that, right? And form a book club, right? Or if you like running, think about taking that hobby for running and make a objective in which now you're going to maybe run a 5K for a fundraiser. Or I've been a combat athlete for 10 years. I practiced karate for 10 years. I like boxing. There is no greater feeling of being just one-on-one -on -one with somebody 
and you're sparring with them or fighting with them, there's nothing that can re replicate that. And so think about possibly training for, you know, an amateur match or something like that. Add an objective to it. And that's kind of where the idea of competing in a national physique competition or being with the NPC was born out of. I really like trying to stay in shape, some relative shape. It's not so great now, but it used to be great. I used to train pretty heavy. And I said, well, let me take that hobby I have for training and let me make an objective to that. My objective turned into competing nationally for physique competitions. I ended up going to a variety of competitions and uh, placing easily within the, fortunately, I should say, fortunately within the top five. And um, the last competition I did was able to place eighth nationally. So there were some things that I was really proud of and, and really helped. But I, I think that without that sense of purpose, Dr. Justin, I'll just leave you this because I, I don't want to filibuster here, but without that sense of purpose, I think it can lead us to a sense of boredom, anxiety, depression. Sometimes you'll see substance abuses, you know, from that, whether it's food or alcohol. And I think it also leaves, makes us less vulnerable to sort of psychological discord where you, you, you're, you're not distracted by outside things. So you listen to that chatter and those voices in your head, those, those things that give you self-doubt or that, that imposter syndrome. When you were approached with the opportunity to do a podcast, you're like, well, I don't know anything about podcasts. I couldn't possibly, even though you're amazing at it and you're really good. And that chatter, those inner voices, they can creep up on us. And so I would just say, certainly we can talk about you know, healthy living through food. We can talk about healthy living through exercise. I love talking about those, but I think fundamentally is creating a sense of purpose for yourself. And I get it. Veterinary medicine, it gives us that sense of purpose. But what I'm talking about are things that you enjoy outside of that. And if you do have hobbies, creating an objective for your hobby, otherwise known as a objective. Yeah, no, I love it. So we were talking um, earlier about how you've kind of naturally always been emerged in in physical activity through different avenues starting at an early age. And I, on the other hand, was kind of the opposite. But while you were explaining all this, it's like, man, that's kind of what I did, but I didn't really like pinpoint it. But I was kind of challenged. I was not out of school very long. Um, so trying to navigate this new world of like truly being in in practice, um, owning a home, recently married, like all these huge changes. And someone invited me to do this local boot camp. And I, I was going to have to wake up at 3.30 to make it happen. 3.30 in the morning. Yes. My boss at the time made a comment that I was never going to stick with it. And so, of course... <laughs> That gave me an objective. So my my thing was, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show up with my friend and I'm going to stick it out for the, I think it was like four to six weeks at a time is what they did the sessions. And I want to say the person that invited me only made it to like two classes because something happened that made her have to stop going. But I, I kept going because I was determined to prove my boss wrong, which is horrible. Yeah, you know, he did not realize the beast that he had awakened in terms of telling you you can't do something. <laughs> but I I got involved with a group that would go at four in the morning because that's I'd wake up at three thirty to get there at four and they were runners and so I started I had to start with walking but I enrolled in my first five k because it was a race they all did and that just kind of snowballed but I always had like a race or something attached to it 
And that kept it interesting and got me out of bed because I'd have to do my runs that early if I, you know, wasn't going to the actual class at that point. You know, I don't think I would have made it a priority if it wasn't attached to some kind of, you know, goal objective, like you were saying. So I just think it's really interesting. And I'm glad that you you brought that up. It could really be applied to anything. No doubt. And what I think is interesting about hobbies or forming a objective is that a lot of times it can help you get into a flow state. And that flow state is where you're just, you're so immersed in your activity that you block out the outside world. And as you know, you know, athletes have described this flow state, uh, surgeons, uh, doctors, people who are just doing anything that they can immerse themselves into. And I have to be honest with you, it's been rare, but there have been times where I've gotten into a flow state when running. And uh, you can, you experience those endorphins, you concentrate on your breathing, and you can hopefully focus on your inner self versus thinking about all the other things that you have to do. So when you wake up at four in the morning and you start that run with your group, Hopefully you achieve a flow state. You're now thinking about your goal or sorry, I should say your objective, right? You're thinking about your objective and you're doing a hobby all at the same time, which is running. It is the best of all the worlds together. And so you and I started out talking. I can't remember if this was was online or offline, but it's just that there is no cookbook. There is no cookie cutter one. There is no one size fits all. And that's why when we talk, talk about things like your hobby or exercise, I think one of the defining elements is what does it look like for you? What do you like? And in that's why, you know, obviously running is not the best exercise for everyone. Yoga isn't either. Lifting heavy weights isn't either. A ropes course isn't either, right? It's about what do you like? What is personal to you? And then create an objective. And that way you can concentrate on something you truly love. I have to point out, so a couple of episodes ago, I met with Dr. Zach, who's doing phenomenal research within burnout of the field. And he talked a lot about the significance of goal setting within the field, like after we got get out of school. And so I don't know, I just love that this is kind of like being tied together, like just goal setting in general and having something kind of to look forward to, to get excited about really just the impact it has, not just within like setting goals within veterinary medicine per se, but just in, in anything. And I do think it it truly, it's a powerful weapon against burnout and just, you know, the things that we're, we're kind of up against um, in the field. So I just wanted to point that out because I, I think it's cool. <laughs> I think it's personally awesome because all of us will try something new and say, I need to get more active. And I heard about these things called these new workout plans and they'll try them and, and they don't, stick with them because it turns out that it's not for them. So I think that in my opinion, the best exercise is something that you'll actually stick with and uh, you get excited about because sure, you know, running and and lifting heavy weights may, may get you in shape, but if that's not something you're passionate about, you're, you're not going to stay in shape. But if you do get excited about Pilates or yoga or bar method or any, or rock climbing, that will help you get in better shape. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey. 
Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso, and I'm here to tell you about my new show on Pet Candy TV. You can learn all about how to take the best care of your pets. Stream at My Pet Candy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. It's been a phenomenal time having you on. I definitely want to make sure that we give our listeners the opportunity to be able to keep up with you, to find you. So do you mind sharing that information with them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I am just delighted to be with you, Dr. Jess. My, you can find me at Dr. Courtney DVM on all socials. You can certainly check me out on um, drcourtneydvm.com, uh, a website. And then, of course, uh, any, of the, any of the platforms or any of the, the, the content that I've been so fortunate to, to be able to post and, and, and share with, with everyone. Uh, YouTube as well. So, so yeah, it, it, socials, YouTube, my website, whatever it is, don't hesitate to reach out and I'd love to hear from you. Thank you. And is there any last tip or just words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners today? My words of wisdom? No, quite frankly, my words of wisdom are simply make sure that when you are, make sure that as you move through life and as you're making an impact on the lives of other people, pets and, and animals in general is make sure that that you spend an equal amount of time on yourself. And I know that there's an emphasis on self-care, but I think that you can incorporate your aspects of self-care within your passion for the profession. Yes, absolutely. I, I love that. And I love that we were able to dig into that today because I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. Well, thank you again for being on. I could talk all day with you. <laughs> um, likewise, likewise, Dr. Justin, I hope uh, we get a chance to uh, do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to all of you listening, thank you for tuning in. This is Living Well with Dr. Jessica. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye. It's Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.